Angela. I'm Naomi, and welcome to Queerly Yours. We are two queer, polyamorous folks who have often been asked for relationship advice by friends, so we decided to put our insights on the internet. This is a podcast about how we have built our relationship over time, and how you can build yours too. And today, we are talking about one of the topics that's sort of part of our taglines and descriptions of the show in general. We're going to talk about polyamory. And we promise, like we try to do with all of our topics, this will be an episode that's relevant to general relationship premises, not just for folks who are polyamorous or thinking about it. But like many of the topics we discuss, we think that this is something that it benefits folks to think about, to think about things like, what is the underlying structure of the relationships I have? How much of that looks the way that I most want it to look or that my partners most want it to look? And how much of it is built on norms or assumptions, pre-existing habits? And we just sort of figured that um, it's kind of a topic that we have gone over a little bit beforehand uh, when we talked about sort of how we met, but we kind of wanted to go a little bit more detail, maybe more how we specifically handle it and maybe some of the reasons why specifically we've done that, some of the more larger social contexts that motivated us to do it in this particular format, both because of what we've experienced in our lives and just a lot of how we've seen it, polyamory as a whole play out in our respective communities. Uh, yeah, it's definitely the kind of thing where polyamory is something that we each became aware of and learned about in sort of our own ways and through our own arcs, and how we figured it out in our relationship is something we've touched on before, but it's something that I think we can dig into in a bit more detail and also provide more context and tools around how we think it might be helpful for other folks to reflect and sort of organize their thoughts if it's something that they're considering or if it's a relationship dynamic that they're in and they want to think more intentionally about it and how it works or doesn't work for them. Because there are quite a lot of uh, misconceptions and I believe we might have touched on this previously again when we were going in uh, one of our first episodes about just how we met as to how we got into polyamory but there's a lot of misconceptions about what it means to actually be in a polyamorous dynamic when it comes to your relationship setup and one of the Probably first things to talk about is just how allegedly easy it is to do this. Uh, we can both assure you it is not. If you are actually trying to do a loving and committed relationship of some kind, it is not. Yeah, I think that conception comes out of the sense, and especially it's an image that I think generally imagines uh, men, like cis men, in polyamorous dynamics with multiple women, and that it's essentially a way to not commit or to have the kind of ease that you would theoretically have by not committing to people. And that's very weird for me. One, because while it's not inherently something that happens in all polyamorous dynamics, commitment can definitely be a very major part of those setups. The other element is hooking up with a lot of people is not inherently easy either. I mean, it's more easy to just physically accomplish that than it is to do all of the structural maintenance and emotional connectivity of relationships. But neither of those things is inherently easy in any specific way. There are so many contextual elements related to the actual people involved and the setting in which the, those relationships are happening that affect what it is actually like to do that. So the concept that polyamory is somehow easier than monogamy, particularly by virtue of being in some way less committed or less serious, is definitely something that bothers me because I think it creates a weird dynamic and assumption. Also that monogamy is always really committed, which I think pretty much everyone has experiences that suggest that it's not. 
that people's assumptions around monogamy and what it looks and feels like can differ wildly, and that those communications are perfectly capable of complicating relationships without the dynamic of dating or being committed to multiple people being involved. Um, no relationship format is inherently, I think, the easiest uh, compared to any others, because people have different needs and interests and skills in how they relate to other people, and what they want and what they're looking for will hopefully be easier to organize and to maintain when they are working in a relationship style that they really thrive in. And it's also um, one of those things where even just getting into like little things like the assumption that adding an additional person to let, let's say you go into it with the most like bright, optimistic way of looking at involving more people in your relationship. If you just go at it from the lens of like, well, more people means more opportunities to enjoy oneself with, or maybe get out and share like, and more Love, experiences connection, with. experience, yeah, like, like all of those things. Th those things can be wonderful and delightful. That also goes over the fact that that's more logistics to handle. And if you've ever been part of a group project of any kind in your life, you are very much aware that people's emotions about how a certain thing should be done get very complicated very easily over the most inane things that aren't even talking about very like important, like core fundamental relationship values that you share. Like, just getting into, do we see each other at this this often? Do Are we okay with if we have a period of long distance? Those are already difficult conversations to have with just two people involved. And not even necessarily into a relationship, just friends trying to keep uh, in contact with one another. Sometimes it's hard to even keep like in touch with friends. To bring, that, to bring additional people into that format is to already invite a whole host of potential like issues that can come up with that. And that's not to say it's a, inherently a bad thing to bring more people into it. It's just should be very much from the outset stated. More people is not inherently less complex. If anything, it's more <laughs> complex. You have added more variables. And people are extremely complex variables. So, yeah, that, that has a lot of effects. Uh, and and, and some also, of them are lovely and exciting, but some of them and, aren't. Yeah, and, and also, like, to getting to touch on your point, Han, about, like, just, just monogamy. It's just, like, certain assumptions we have about what it looks like to be committed to just one person. Like... Let's start with something just very, well, not necessarily simple, but a foundational element that a lot of, I know, like straight relationships, folks in, folks in straight or monogamous relationships, sometimes the two overlap, is even just emotional, like monogamy. Like some folks truly believe that like you should only be telling one singular person about your emotions and issues. I've seen that happen a lot along gendered lines, especially where it's like where I've known men, for example, especially cis men to only want their partner to like talk to them about very deep when when they are willing to actually listen to their partners talk about their emotions <laughs> which too real <laughs> a little shady but kind of deserved but even when they are they don't really want they feel kind of uncomfortable that they're sharing all of these other things with someone else and that their partner isn't being the sole person to listen to their issues they're like or that they feel like their partner is supposed to be the only one to listen to those things and it's like there's a lot of assumptions already built just into that one scenario about what it means to be monogamous just with your own emotional problems or just feelings in general, like providing space for that. That doesn't even involve polyamory. Mm -hmm. Involving no. polyamory just makes it that much more complicated. That's more exactly. people for that to be a problem with. So that can absolutely be a dynamic in polyamory. Another dimension that that's making me think of that I think comes up in a lot of capacities is sort of the more mundane and also more insidious corollary to that which is the situation where, especially the gendered lines element of that, 
where someone doesn't want their partner to have close friends of the same gender as their partner. And obviously that ends up being broadly and generally a pretty darn heterosexual uh, because queer folks, again, not inherent to any particular group of us, but I feel like definitely we have a sort of increased likelihood of moving in the same social circle as our exes and the people that we like have worked at the co-op grocery with and the people that we go to the organizing rallies with and just the whatever whatever queer associated social spaces we're in the chance of there being overlap on a lot of fronts goes up and the chance of being still socially connected in some way to exes or people that we've cared about in various capacities goes up and so it doesn't mean people don't get weird or jealous or create intense boundaries about things but the concept of being able to be friends with folks of the same gender as your partner i think at the very least often that is a little clearly covered when partners are already also the same gender as each other. Um, But there are definitely a lot of situations and dynamics where partners will try to limit the social worlds that their partner can have. And that's a thing that comes out of contexts of control and insecurity and a lot of weird senses of what it means to be faithful and what it means to commit and what it means to connect. And I think the control element is really big because there's this sense that if you can bound in your partner's social and emotional world just so, then they can't leave. And obviously that can be a really, really dangerously abusive situation to be in. And I feel like also, even when none of the people involved are experiencing it as abuse, it comes from a fear of not being able to have situational control that cannot be perfectly soothed because there is no way to make sure that another person is going to be always connected to you in the same way that they currently are. And that's big and that's scary and that sucks to think about in a lot of cases. But if you can't hold that in your heart, it is a lot harder to connect with other people in an emotionally genuine way that approaches them as people. And that's a fear that folks can have across a lot of contexts and it can operate a little differently in monogamous and polyamorous circumstances. But it's something I feel... I see impacting relationships in a lot of different contexts. And, and I think uh, an additional sort of uh, inverse situation that happens that speaks to another misconception uh, that we have listed among our notes that I think that leads into very well is, like I said, the inverse problem of that, which is essentially where instead of trying to act with a sense of trying to emote, uh, create like very thin emotional boundaries that are heavily regulated, it's the expectation that someone else really not have boundaries around that, which is to say that you should automatically be okay with uh, moving into a polyamorous format because it's, well, it's the more politically correct, well, not politically correct, it's a terrible term, but it's the more (laughs) politically like viable alternative or it's like, it's a way where it's like the more like social justice, quote quote unquote social justice format to approach a sort of like relationship uh, framework Mm -hmm. Like, there's a sense of, like, well, we should just be, uh, like, well, you're in a monogamous relationship. You don't let other people see your partner. Like, you're controlling them, and you're just being a terrible, sexist, like, horrible douchebag. And it's, like, some folks are fine with monogamy. The problem isn't mm-hmm. inherently with, like, having, per se, strict boundaries until those, of course, like, Naomi's get into an abusive level, or having open boundaries. It's the notion of, like, have you actually talked and figured out what kind of boundaries you're, you and any people you become involved with your life and that? extreme a level or even just that not extreme intimate a level have you actually talked about those because i know we've both in our respective circles have seen people who are like they feel like they're expected to just be okay with folks being able to see multiple partners and it's like 
that is ultimately for, I think, us, I think it's fair to say, or at least my take on it is that I don't think that's what we're advocating when we talk about polyamory as a format that we do for our personal relationships. Yeah, we're much more trying to encourage people to think about what are the boundaries in my relationships? Have we formed and talked about those boundaries in a clear and intentional way? Where do they come from? What do we think will result from them, expect will result from them, want to result from them? Do those effects line up? Do I, for example, think to yourself, try to think to yourself, do I want something from this relationship that I am assuming or hoping or believing that I can get by asserting a specific boundary? And is that actually the case? Is that even something I can guarantee? And that comes up in a lot of contexts. I feel like one of the classics in some polyamory situations or open different formats of open relationship is the concept of going, oh, you can connect with other people in X, Y, Z kinds of ways, you know, pick whatever that particular setup is, but you can't fall in love with them, or you can only connect to them in this way, or you can only see them in these spaces, like don't bring them back into the house. And those are things where some of those boundaries are enforceable, like saying who you do or don't want in your home. That's relatively enforceable. Not falling in love or having an emotional connection with people, not as enforceable. That's something that it's hard to internally guarantee will never happen. And that doesn't mean that it's not an important thing to think and talk about, but it's important to really try to tease out what do I want and how do I think and hope this boundary will let me get what I want. And if I know this boundary is not guaranteed to work, what does that change? What are the underlying needs that I'm trying to assert with these boundaries? And do the boundaries I'm setting serve those needs? Because I feel like especially a lot of circumstances where people set boundaries that really don't involve talking about the underlying feelings connected to them, that creates a format where I think it can be easier to end up in an emotionally tender or dangerous place where you think or assume that your partner knows why something is important to you and maybe they don't understand it. Or maybe they do understand it and they're not being a good partner to you by ignoring it uh, because they are managing to follow the letter of a boundary, but not the spirit of it that is actually what matters to you. And so those things are really important. And I'm not I'm not sure what the sort of end phrase to that is, but this is this is important stuff to talk about. We come back to our core message. This is important to talk about. Also, Ange, when you were talking about the sort of the, the different scenarios earlier and the the inverse situation of well, why can't you just be cool with this? Or obviously all this openness should be okay. Um, the phrase that comes to my mind is a sort of a summary of certain trends I've seen uh, might be, babe, of course I didn't text you back what, even when you were super upset and didn't know where I was. I'm a relationship anarchist. You know, it's there's the, there are these situations where like, what not, people say, yeah. You're not a relationship anarchist. You're an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> trying to cloak your, uh, your very shitty communication style in verbiage that you think gets you more social clout and it's very like, well summarized <laughs> and, and and it's also one of those things where like to sort of build on those notes of around like needs about what a boundary hopes to accomplish we've we've talked about i've written about this before and we've talked about this in detail especially since naomi's literally proofread the article that i wrote about this in is that mm-hmm. when we're talking about things like jealousy or like lack or certain needs in a relationship not being met and how the response to those needs might manifest for example, jealousy or pettiness or frustration with a partner. Some folks' reactions to that might think that it's like polyamory or just involving more people will make that easier. Again, 
very common misconception. Well, if someone else gets a perspective on this, or just if, if, you know, if I just let him go and have his fun there, like, he'll be okay. And then he'll come back to me or something like that. Like, those are terrible situations to find yourself when the foundation of it, it's not a problem of like needing more sex, or even necessarily needing more quote unquote love. That's a matter of like, there are serious feelings of self-worth and jealousy that are not being attended to. There are serious needs, whether they're emotional or just relationship-wise, that are not being attended to. Because at its core, a lot of those feelings of pettiness, frustration, and jealousy, those are feelings, they're, they're directed feelings. They're jealousy of something. They're, they're feelings of frustration with something. They don't just appear out of nowhere. They're founded in something much deeper. And there's a lot of problems that can easily emerge when you try and treat those very deeper foundational issues or misconceptions even just about how you set boundaries or, communi- or communicate with your partner or how well you communicate that don't get solved when you just add more people into it. Or in a lot of ways, I guess when I'm thinking about this, I think the misconception is less to do with polyamory and more to the idea that polyamory, of course, must equal just more sex with more people. Therefore, if we just add that in, it's easier it just fixes everything when <laughs> there's so many leaps of logic being made right there that are that don't follow and more often than not will make things worse. Yeah, you can't plan on another person having a particular type of effect on existing relationships. You can try, you'll probably fail. That's how we get other sort of sort of jokes slash stereotypes of things like unicorns and unicorn hunters. Um, which I also realized we didn't super go over the term polyamory and what it means. We can go to that in a sec too. But a unicorn is a term that often gets used to refer to uh, particularly bisexual women who are comfortable dating an existing couple that in- that ha- includes a man and a woman. And so unicorn hunters are couples who are out looking for a unicorn. And the reason that unicorns are called unicorns is because the concept of a unicorn often it it doesn't just mean oh, a person we could both date. It's a person we could both date slash sleep with who will be attracted to us in a clear, sort of equitable, balanced way where she doesn't really favor either one of us and she doesn't make either of us uncomfortable and her needs and interests match up with our needs and interests and she's cool with kind of being a secondary fun element of our relationship. She's going She's going to add fun and brighten up and revitalize this relationship that we have between the two of us and she's not going to add complications of her own. That's the dimension that really creates the unicorn part of it. Though, honestly, even without those factors, finding someone who is interest, equally interested in dating both people in an existing couple, that's already a complex thing. That's just a lot of factors. That's not something that, uh, for some folks, that's cool. And for some folks, that's something they want nothing to do with. Especially because... We, we've had experience with having someone like that involved in our relationship. It was not simple. Yeah. It was, yeah. It was just complex through all of it. It was very cool, and I'm very, I'm very glad that we dated her. But also, I don't think either of us. I mean, I don't think we hunted. <laughs> no, that was very much not a thing. I think either of us were trying to go into, and I think that that's partially why we've ended up with the kind of format, and maybe even personal, like personal, and also as a couple, uh, sort of way we've come to look at polyamory because if we're trying to give sort of a definition to it there's a there's a bunch of different ones that we could give because a lot of folks have different takes on it i would be hard pressed to give a very sensible one i think naomi is the much better (laughs) of the two of us at doing that kind of thing in bite-sized format i can give it a go i i mean just linguistically it's like referring to 
many or multiple loves, the concept of having multiple loving connections with people. Generally, it is framed as, as and seen as being a situation where you are dating or in some other way in multiple committed or connective relationships with people. And the, then the sort of the corollaries spread out and the fuzziness appears. I would say that if I was going to define it in terms of how we approach it and what I think of as doing polyamory in a respectful, structurally functional way, it means that you are in or are open to being in multiple committed loving relationships with people. what loving looks and feels like and what committed looks and feels like. There's a lot of wiggle room there. That's a different format for different folks. It's a format where all the people involved know that you're doing that. I don't think that you should really be framing things as polyamory if there are huge secret relationships in because you can still cheat while you're polyamorous. That's what that is. Uh, you can, I mean, you can be polyamorous and cheating. It's like, I'm not going to kick people out of the term because they're assholes. I think it's important to acknowledge there are assholes in all communities. But a relationship where someone doesn't know you're polyamorous, that's not really an additional polyamorous relationship that you're having. That is, that's you cheating. That's you cheating and manipulating someone who doesn't understand the actual format of your situation. And to play off Naomi's earlier comment, no, that is not relationship anarchy, regardless if you put it into that verbiage or what happened, if you frame it as that verbiage or not, not relationship anarchy, that is you being an, yeah. an asshole, or it is, and it's you're still being an asshole. You're, you're also being an asshole, potentially, either or. Uh, and cheating, I would say, is a uh, simplest summary, like breaking relationship boundaries, in particular ones related to things like sex, romance, int intimacy, and interpersonal connection. That is cheating. And so that can look, again, different ways in different relationships. Like in our relationship, there are many, many things that both of us could do that are not cheating, that would absolutely be considered cheating in other relationships. There are relationships where it's 100% not okay uh, to kiss a person besides your monogamous partner, but that is not the setup we're in. It is not cheating for Ange to smooch other people or for me to smooch. But it's not cheating because we decided that between ourselves. Yeah, and that, and that, and that again, uh, part of why we're taking sort of the time to break it down for how we do that, and for how we particularly do it, is that we didn't move into it, like, we didn't start off in this format, and we didn't, because we've talked about this uh, on uh, the podcast before, we didn't start out that way, and we very much didn't go, like, into this quickly, because... And, and and to stress it to all the folks who look at our relationship with a lot of joy and hopefulness, we have also made mistakes along the way. I will be the first to admit there was an occasion where I forget if it was like an ex or someone you were interested, hon. And I was like, no, I don't feel comfortable with that. And then you directly pointed out to me that it's like, well, why do you seem like you're interested in yours? And that's OK. And I don't get mine. And I was like, oh, wait, <laughs> shit, I'm not being fair to Naomi. Or I'm having, uh, there's a lot of like hiccups and feelings I'm having about that that I'm not admitting. Mm -hmm. And I need to be transparent about that because it's not fair to have that kind of standard. Like with us doing polyamory, a lot of it has been very much like we've done a slow approach. We moved into it over time and we've very much moved into the kind of format where we both have, we used to literally keep a Google Doc and I think we still have a Google Doc somewhere <laughs> among all of our folders of things uh, where we have set down what physical boundaries we have with the with other people and to put it to a more explicit level like there are different points where we talked about fluid boundaries like fluid exchange with different with other partners yeah and that's the thing where again and the google doc we have we i haven't looked at that in a long time that's a thing where that's less of a tool of ours now i feel like though it might be interesting to look back over it and check in about it again together because i would bet some of that stuff has changed from the last time we looked at it but it was a way, especially when we were figuring out what we were comfortable with and what made sense to both of us, to create a sort of shared living document 
that we could both review and edit and read over. And also sort of, yeah, we didn't really do this directly, but I believe we could look at the editing history of it too, if we wanted to, and sort of get a sense of how, how is this going? How are we feeling? What are the important things to consider? And Angela mentioned like fluid boundaries and like fluid bonding with people. I'm a practical person, okay, y'all? I work in sexual health education. I, for me, especially with my own sort of background, I was already familiar with polyamory as a concept. It wasn't something that I had ever had as a part of my relationships before that directly, but it was something I was pretty open to potentially moving towards. For Angela, it was significantly newer. But for me, like emotional dimensions of it were not as much a concern of mine. But sexual health dimensions and those boundaries are very important to me and something I wanted to make sure we were clear on. Because that, for me, that's a big factor. I want, I want to know like sexual health variables for myself in a way that I understand. I want to make sure I know what risks I am choosing to take and how I am choosing to manage them. And that doesn't mean nothing is ever risky. Like There is no way to live a life that contains no risk, but I want to approach that thoughtfully and intentionally. Also, I want to date, and I want... As much as I can set standards out, I want Angela to date people who are comfortable with talking about things like barrier methods and sexual health. I think that's a good base standard for people who are interested in being respectful. There's a lot of things that we have gone over just uh, just in just with that topic alone, just with like sexual health boundaries and such. They require a whole load of different things for just a couple to yeah. go through. And that's sort of a conversation, like, if we're if we're being, I'll say this somewhat jokingly, but also seriously, if you want to take a buzzkill sort of approach to thinking about polyamory at its most bare bones and the unappealing parts of it, the unglamorous stuff, as my partner has phrased it on <laughs> another occasion, those are all conversations that if you genuinely, I, I would say if you, I would argue if you genuinely respect your partner and want to treat them as someone who's like an equal to you, you have those conversations about with every single one of the people you might become involved with. Those are those are different conversations and elements and levels of comfort and boundaries that you need to negotiate with everyone involved. And just from a logistical level, that's a lot of energy and time to work out with one additional person, let alone if you're someone who tries to do two or three or various sorts of relationships. I applaud anyone who has that energy. I really don't. It's also a thing where these are a lot of conversations that even between monogamous partners, there's not a lot of familiar social scripts and comfort around in a lot of cases. One of my sort of, I, I want to call it, I don't know if hobby is the right word, something I really enjoy doing when I get the chance to meet new people who are I'm able to have this blunt to rapport with is to ask them what their sex ed was like in grade school because everyone has a different answer. And a lot of it doesn't involve talking about barrier methods at all, or it might involve only briefly talking about how they don't work and also they're an affront to God. Um, or it might just tell you, use them, but nothing about how to have those conversations. One cheesy worksheet about how to have those conversations that makes the whole concept feel deeply awkward and unappealing and still very, very nebulous and scary. So I don't think having those conversations is easy. Honestly, that might be something, future episode topics maybe. Um, that's a kind of conversation that can be tough to have, and I'm not going to claim that I always feel like I have it in the best way or that I talk as much as I would ideally want to in some contexts, but it's something I do really work to prioritize. And because of that, I end up dating pretty much exclusively people who are willing to do things like go through long checklists with me. 
and talk through talk through needs, boundaries, and interests in detail. And I mean checklists, literally. Yeah, and I don't do that with other people. I just do roundabout ways to check in about certain things. Like I'll mention my partner directly. And if they're still interested, okay, then we could see what happens. But if it's like, yeah, I have a partner. Oh, by the way, I'm also interested in you. And they're just like, I don't know if I can do that. Then it's like, oh, okay, we don't have to go with that format. I just do that because that's the simplest way I found to just go about indicating whether or not certain conversations are going to happen. And those are some of the conversations that are kind of critical to even thinking about whether polyamorous format that they're included in is going to work. Talking about having worked as a sexual health educator is kind of both the way I flirt and also just be upfront with people about how I want to get to support the folks in my social circles and what to expect of me in relationships. Because it's like, hey, I'm open to talking about this stuff if that would be cool and supportive for you, whether or not we're romantically connected in any way. Also, if we do become romantically connected in some way, I talk about this stuff a lot. It's very important to me to be comfortable talking about it a lot. Are you comfortable with that? If you're not, this is probably not going to be a thing, and I'd rather have you know up front. If it hasn't been clear to any of our delightful viewers who may have been with us for a long time, we're both very blunt people Mm -hmm. when we try and approach a lot of these different topics. And that's sort of bled into how we approach our polyamory. But that's not necessarily how everyone does it. And I think a lot of, at least my interest in wanting to talk about this sort of subject is just clear up a lot of the misconceptions people might have about it. And also just make a little bit clearer, at least from our experiences, what's really difficult in general about trying to do them and why it's not something that you necessarily have to be okay with. And it's not because you're secretly a sexist, terrible, you're not enlightened, misogyny or anything. Yeah, it's nothing It's nothing like some sort of enlightenment level. It's not some level of enlightenment that you haven't reached and just haven't become open to. It's like, no, our interest for doing a lot of these podcasts is to really just talk about relationships in general, romantic, familial, friendly, any of the ones that fit the lover, friends, or in-between areas. Our interest in talking about these topics is more, what are, what are some assumptions people have? And what are some areas to and tools that we can provide that maybe work on those a little bit more. Because we all have a lot of assumptions that we bring into our relationships about what we think we might want out of other people or what we want to have with other people. And both of those come with a whole lot of expectations about what the other person's supposed to do. Because even if you just want something like, I eventually want marriage, or I, I want to be able to like sleep with certain kinds of people, it's a lot of expectation on other folks, and not everyone's going to immediately be for that. Or they, or folks, because of the complicated histories they have around, let's say, a committed relationship, uh, physical intimacy, or emotional boundaries, or any of those sorts of things, it may be difficult for folks to do that. A lot of what we, almost to a blunt level, harp on about about talking about communication with partners is that, in a lot of ways, that kind of is a foundational element of where you get both the best and the worst out of relationships emerging. What happens to your communication affects a lot of how the rest of your relationship functions. Absolutely. And again, I think we've said this in other ways throughout this episode, but really at the core, if you are in an unstable and uncertain relationship situation, polyamory is not stabilizing. Maybe for some people, it has made some things more stable. You cannot patch an existing relationship using polyamory. If there is any relationship problem other than we would both like to date other people in addition to this current relationship, and right now we're not doing that. If that's the only issue, polyamory might fix that a little bit. But if there are any other concerns or patterns or things that aren't working, adding more people or inserting the conceptual potential that more people might be involved 
will not make things easier. It is its own kind of work. It is its own kind of process. And it's something that I, I'm happy for folks to do that and have that factor in their lives, but I want it to be intentional and not something that just leaves people feeling lost in a different way, but still feeling lost. And I would add too, as someone who has had a lot of years of really not being good at times about figuring out until way later that, you know, oh, wait, actually, that bothered me. And I, I want to say something about it. And Naomi, bless them, has been very understanding of that being the case in a lot of situations where it takes me a while to be like, oh, wait, actually, no, I wasn't okay with that. It can take time. And these things are complicated, especially if it's something where you feel like because of the social context you've grown up in, or just the relationships you've had before, or whether it's just gen a genuine, like, ability issue of being able to process certain information and you take time to be able to communicate whether that's verbally or through other formats these things are complicated and making space for that is hard relationships are hard and it's not to say there's not a lot of fun and enjoyable elements to them whether they're a monogamous relationship polyamorous or just a weird transition state where you're like kind of this kind of that or multiple things or you don't like terms or you're in a different social context where those terms are not as relevant but yeah yeah relationships are difficult and if there's been any sorts of themes that have been consistent outside of just we uh, us somehow no matter the topic leading back to communication is that also like these things take work and people have varied experiences about what kind of work that they put into a relationship are treated as mattering and sometimes it takes a little while to get to a point where if you think you've been okay with a certain boundary and then realize, oh, wait, maybe I want to lean back away from that or maybe stretch it a little bit more. That's an okay conversation to have. And again, if you have an unstable relationship format and you want to consider polyamory, I at least am not saying don't do it, but you're saying it's not going to fix core foundational problems that you have. Proceed with all the caution and tenderness that the existing relationship already needs and then layer further thoughtfulness and intention onto that as you are able to because yeah it's a lot yeah and it's it's again one of those things where it's like even as you're saying that Hannah, of like lay on what tenderness is already there if the tenderness that you have between you really isn't that much then that's a bigger issue you need to solve first before you involve other people because outside of just you know not being fair the to let's say it's just a monogamous couple that's considering a third or fourth or more people or just one person in the relationship opening up it's not outside of just not being fair to you it's not fair to the people you involve it super isn't also yeah while we're just giving sort of advice and tips on certain fronts <laughs> you can't get people to order to fit in your relationship in a certain way and if you present yourself as doing that many people are going to run far away from you that's one of the other sort of unicorn hunter elements. Often you will even see profiles or get messages that involve phrases like, we are looking for a woman who, etc., 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 or even just, we are looking for a woman, female, chick. The, the language, there's a lot of uncomfortable language directions it can go. But if someone feels that you are approaching them in part because you're looking for a sort of general shape, you know, some some further ladiness to bring into your existing dynamic. A lot of people are going to go, wow, this really doesn't seem like you have any distinct interest in me as a person. This seems like you're interested in a fantasy concept. So don't do that. And if you will want to avoid some of the classic sort of unicorn hunting peeves, don't create a joint profile with both of your faces in it. Do your own connectivity in reaching out. 
even if you if you want a relationship to be a package deal, you can't guarantee other people that. Both be charming in your own way and with your own accounts and let people talk to you as distinct people. Don't mass message bisexual women or any women, but especially the trend often ends up being. Don't mess mass message bisexual women the same message that clearly has no reference to anything about their specific profiles. Don't do it. Enough people do it. You you have become a trope. You will be screenshotted. I I will share my frustration with my friends. It has been done. I'm not even a bisexual I'm not even a bisexual woman. I just get assumed to be. Um and I am a bisexual woman and I can different say please don't do this. And again, I, I don't think we necessarily have to say this, but I, I wanna make this clear. The issue is not with like wanting to seek multiple people out. That's not the problem. Because I know that a lot of folks I know that there can be the potential to hear that and think that that's us like wanting that we're essentially like trying to throw, let's say, bisexual people under the bus. But it's like, no, there have been a lot of people across the sexuality and gender spectrum who have been really shitty around a lot of fronts and been hunting. Also, a lot of the time it's heterosexuals doing this, too. So admittedly, a lot of heterosexuals doing this as well. But it's me because it's like I have bi defensive feels. Oh, yeah, I I know. I want folks. I Regardless, if we if we don't have to say this, I am making it explicitly no, clear. Please do. We're like, both bi. Not- bi people are awesome in many dimensions too, and, and queer folks of many stripes are affected negatively and uncomfortably by this weird bullshit that unicorn hunters and associated creeps using polyamory as a context and smokescreen. Like it affects a lot of us, and we're not we're not ragging on anyone's sexuality. We're ragging on shitty behavior patterns. Yeah, and it, as is the case with as is always the case with me being uh, the writer of the pair of us <laughs> uh, wanting to give a metaphor Do for, us, for folks who uh, want a, let's say a painful and uncomfortable, but should get the point across image to bear in mind. If your attitude towards approaching other people is, if, can it be effectively reduced down to you are essentially dehumanizing them to the point of treating them like a fine wine or cheese you're trying to pick out of the market, have all the exact qualities and like, tastes and sensations that you're hoping to get out of it and i do say it intentionally because that sometimes that's kind of the vibe a lot of like hunters Mm. and chasers give off you're probably not going about it in a really healthy format or you're going about it in a way where it's like if someone else is interested in that format great wonderful but there's going to be a lot of people who feel very uncomfortable and like i said dehumanized by that don't treat people as things and there's a really unsettling like risk of that when you do the hunter kind of route it's really uncomfortable uncomfortable. it's also boring it tells people that you're unimaginative and possibly inconsiderate and didn't do much research so those are all layers that are important to think about Uh, our personal peeves are coming out through this but i feel like they still relate to important dynamics to talk about one thing i feel like i can say on the advice front from a different angle is that sort of get your get your house in order and i don't necessarily mean just physical space i mean think about your existing relationships and how they are because the more good foundation you have there the more skills and tools you have for thinking about what you want with other people in other contexts and also other people see how you relate to the people you're already connected and i believe we have had multiple people directly tell us that the relationship that we have with each other the connection between the two of us is one of the things that drew them to us, that we essentially had a pre-existing demo of the fact that we are good at communicating with people we care about, and that we do really openly care about folks and express that in like warm and supportive ways. And so for folks who 
are looking for polyamorous and open dynamics, that's essentially like your sort of your social resume is having relationships that you have already established that are good and loving and kind things. And that's not inherently about romantic relationships. That's just about, are you being a good person? Like, like are you, are you actively, are you actively looking to be a, to be a kind, supportive person with the folks who are important to you? Does that show? I think an additional hilarious way of formatting all of that or takeaway from all that is that you don't need to be a hunter if you just naturally have people gravitate towards you because you're being a decent person. Like, you can attract people and people will be interested in wanting to be with you if polyamory is a format you want to have because you just are being nice and good and show and model behavior in a relationship, whether or not it's romantic or not, that is shows you care. And that's kind of what really a lot of decisions about what kind of format you want to have in a relationship are based around. They're based around communication, like we always <laughs> talk about, because we talk about communication a lot on this podcast. But some of it is also like, at its core, an issue of care. Do you feel like you have the capacity, not necessarily like the potential, not the potential, just the capacity, just for being honest for your experiences at this point in time with your histories and navigating and making space to grow, develop and care with someone else? Do you feel like you can do that with someone else? Great. Maybe you can, maybe a monogamous relationship works for you. Do you feel like you can do that with multiple people? Great. Maybe polyamory is for you. Do you feel like you could do that with one person and maybe over time have additional formats where you just want to show affection in a physical way or you want to show affection in a sensual sort of way? Do you want to show it in an emotional support sort of way? Those are all forms of care. Those are all forms of how you might structure relationships and those could or could not include a sort of polyamorous framework to them, but they all involve care. They all involve taking care of someone else. And that's really another element that really care involves is just asking yourself, how do you care about other people? If your foundation is just, well, what can I get out of others? Then that's kind of how you end up at a point of polyamory getting assumed to be, well, it's no commitment. I can just have sex with multiple people and that makes things easier. Well, that really only makes sense if you think other people are just sort of props to get used. Yeah, it doesn't work if you are actually seeking to engage with them as other people. And that doesn't mean that you can't have sex with a lot of people and have a lot of fun with that and not be deeply committed, but intentionally communicating about that is still a process and still something you have to do intentionally. You don't get to assume that everyone is equally cool with your particular approach. You have to do the work of finding out what approach feels good and fun to other people. Because there are plenty of folks in the world who love hooking up with other folks and do not want or need commitment or may actively not want commitment. But you've got to intentionally find those folks. You can't assume that a relationship dynamic you've decided is important to you means that other people just have to deal with that being your approach and you don't have to talk about it. You still have to talk about it. Or if not talk about it and applying a sort of verbal communication, you need to communicate. Yes. Which we say that a lot. You need to communicate. Absolutely. Whatever format you make use of, you have to communicate. Mm -hmm. In the words of uh, my ethical theory professor <laughs> for one of my ethical theory classes I took in undergrad, however blunt it is, gets the point across as well for the con for the for relationship context and a lot of context. One of the things that's basic to ethics, and I, I would also argue for relationships because those involve other people inherently, is uh, you have to always remember you are one of many people. You don't get to act as though you are the moral center of the universe. You are not. You have other people you kind of always have to consider, especially if not kind of always in relationships. You are one of many, which also means your likes, interests, and expectations and histories and assumptions are also one set of many. You got to sort that stuff out. Sometimes I just really fucking love the effects of your dual philosophy and psychology degree. I know you had this sort of foundational approach regardless, but 
I feel like sometimes that shows in really charming ways that you <laughs> have a bachelor's of philosophy and a bachelor's of psych. They me- they mesh well in the format of what we do, I think. I think the the writing element helps a little bit True. too, is that I tend to go into fluffy language, but I tend to know how to direct it in a way that goes in for less fluffy topics and uh, takeaways and considerations. I think that that's a, that's a good area to end with, that really when we're talking about all these things, we're talking about care, we're talking about communication like we're always talking about on this podcast. And really, it's whatever you decide with polyamory, that being uh, polyamory at its core, just being about whether or not you you extend to multiple relationships that have negotiated boundaries. Those could include physical, emotional, sexual, because physical and sexual are different to an extent. You really just have to talk about it. You really have to communicate. You have to figure out why, what your reasons for doing it are. If you're just trying to fix, if you're trying to basically salvage a ship that's already sinking terribly and you don't want to admit it that's don't bring someone else on board yeah the sinking vessel. don't 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 bring someone into a, a calamity that's just ongoing and going to get even worse and faster because more weight makes it sink faster yeah row your row your way out meet them on shore if they're that important but get out of the sinking vessel if we want to call it there i think on that very delightfully grim and apocalyptic imagery that's a good place <laughs> for us to end yeah so in wrapping up, I'll also say, you know, polyamory is a topic that we've touched on in a number of different ways throughout our show. And so this is one sort of general tips approach that we took today, kind of our experience of it, common misconceptions, and things to keep in mind if you are thinking about polyamory or trying to understand your perspective on it. If there are other elements related to polyamory or any topic about relationships that you'd like us to discuss, please remember that you can reach out to us and tell us about those. And we are always happy to get suggestions from listeners that makes a big difference for us and we're happy to get input on the show that helps us look at things from other perspectives and not just be working with our own internal brainstorm processes to decide what to do next also as always you can find both of us on twitter you can find both of us on patreon uh, links to that will be in the show notes as always and hun if it's cool with you do you, you also want to link the article that you wrote about polyamory in our relationship I could put that in our show notes too. Yeah, I'll link it to you right after this so that folks have a sense of like the, <laughs> me in a more organized, concentrated format with Naomi's uh, edits and such included to that and the edits of the wonderful uh, folks over at Art for Ourselves, which is the particular online publication that I write for. Shout out to y'all because I love you and you're part of the reason I've thought about a lot of these relationship issues uh, throughout some of these past years with Naomi as well. AFO is really cool. You should read their stuff. Also, they they do beautiful little. I like I like the graphic design and sort of cover image stuff you do for articles too. I think really lovely and well organized site. And yeah, you can read kind of some condensed some condensed thoughts about polyamory from us if you want a fun simple link off of this that's a little bit shorter and easier to connect. Uh, but yeah, thank you all so much for listening. We're so happy to be here running this show and to hear from listeners about what you think about it, about how it affects you, about what you would like us to talk about in future. So with all that out of the way, I think we can go to the point where we say that I'm Naomi. I'm Angela. And as always, we are Queerly Yours. Queerly Yours is edited and produced by Naomi Bosch, with intro and outro music by Angela lemus Mogrovejo. (laughs) 